You are Locked On Aggies, your daily podcast on the Texas A&M Aggies, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Howdy, everybody, and welcome back into another episode of Locked On Aggies, presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. Cole Thompson back in action, talking all things Texas A&M, and today, Let's take a really look at the offensive line for next season. Not only will AM have a brand new quarterback, but they also will have four of their five offensive linemen. There have been reports already coming out of who ranks where. Are they switching positions? Let's go through all that and much, much more. But before we begin, make sure you're following us on social media at Mr. Cole Thompson. I am the host of the show and I love public feedback. Anything you can do to help make this a more sounding podcast every single day, give me a follow, give me a shout out, and I will add it into the mix. Secondly, Locked on Aggies. Locked on Aggies is your number one source for all things 12th May related content found here on LOP. You can subscribe on iTunes, listen on Spotify, and if you can't do any of that, listen live every single day at LockedOnPodcast.com. So I would be remiss if I did not bring up how Texas A&M basketball is moving on. Now, what does exactly moving on mean? Because they're not in the immense. But the thing that I love is... We don't talk enough about women's basketball. And that's not to say that I think that women's basketball is less important than men's. It's just the men's is so highly profiled. But anyone who knows understands that Texas A&M, even though they were the SEC regular season champs, did not finish as a number one seed. They actually got a number two seed, which could possibly play in their favor moving forward because of the number two Texas A&M Aggies advanced Monday night after defeating the number 15 seed Troy 84 to 80 in a fight that went down to the final seconds Troy entered the game on an 11 game winning streak but the Aggies had too much balance on both sides of the ball that proved to be too much for the Trojans Troy was jacked up the whole game Jordan Nixon said following her big time outing. This was very evident. They had a lot of energies. Listen, the Aggies played really strong down the stretch in the final minutes, but it was the first quarter that seemed to be a little bit rocky. It really was Troy leading the charge out of the gate. Afterwards, following a timeout by Gary Blair, you started to see Destiny Pitts, Zaya Green, Anila Wilson. All start making buckets. They ended up going on a 25-17 run to end the first half. The Trojans double-barrel the Aggies' attack to make them in an uncomfortable tempo to start the second quarter. Basically, the second quarter, you watch the defense and how they played. They were more of a zone than a man. They basically had their quadrants where any shot was taken, they had a shot to rebound it. They had a shot to box out the Lady Ags and make sure that they would get the ball back. This was a tug-of-war game. It went all the way down until the final couple of minutes. Troy's full-court press defense really started to hurt them because it did leave several wide-open shots on breakaway plays for the Aggies, but it also allowed A&M, or I I guess I would say it allowed Troy to always have at least one defensive play. They were down offensively, but they were always a defensive mind away. So... As long as there was a breakaway and it was a one-on-one, there was about a 75% shot that Troy was going to get that ball. Our goal was to get to the free throw line 25 times and we were good at the free throw shooting, Gary Blair said after the game. Sometimes we were driving and getting fouled and we were not getting the and one. 
we were getting just two free throws. The Maroon and White crashed the backboards, but Troy rebounded the advantage, ending the first half with a 24-23 lead. A&M, uh, and rebounds, my bad. Ultimately, uh, the Trojans finished the game with more rebounds, 48-42 over the Lady Ags. But in quarter number three, the Trojans found their groove. Uh, Femelis Corgata, if I think I'm saying that right, and Alexis Dye recorded 10 points in under three minutes. They went on a 9-0 run, cutting AM's lead to five. However, AM finished quarter three, leading still by seven or eight, I want to say it was. 65 to 58. I'm not going to math. That's why I talk sports for a living. Nixon bragged, though, on Sierra Johnson for her performance around the boards. Her presence changes things, Nixon said. She does a lot of things that don't show up on the stat sheet. She's always been huge for us. As the momentum was coming down the stretch, the game was tied at 69-69. Four straight possessions, the sides went back and forth. Ultimately, Wilson broke the tie with two key free throws that led them to be taking the lead by two. The Trojans fouled Pitts with six seconds left, who would hit both of her foul shots to give AM a four-point edge. Janiah Sanders hit a pair of free throws to put them in within two, but an AM rebound after a timeout drew another foul, which led to two more free throws, which led to the four-point victory. Nixon led the Aggies with a career-high 21 points. Johnson followed with 16 points and added 14 rebounds for her second double-double in the last two games. Wilson recorded 12 points, and Kayla Wells had nine. Nidera Jones knocked her 42nd double-double of her career with 11 points and 10 rebounds. Now the Aggies will play host to the number seven Iowa State uh, Cyclones. Yeah, that's it. In the round of 32 tournaments starting on Wednesday, March 24th in San Antonio, there is yet to be a start time. Listen, I know a lot of people were excited about the men's basketball tournament, but at the same time, when you look at it, it is a weird flux this year. I, I mean, there's so many teams I thought were going to be better that are not in the tournament anymore. Ohio State, Wisconsin, North Carolina, these powerhouses, Virginia, like Kansas. Let's just talk about that for a second. Like, there's not a team to root for. And it's because the one thing I will say about the men's tournament versus the women's tournament is you know who your powerhouses are on the men's side, and they somehow find a way to screw it up. The women, they are tough. They play with passion. They score more than the men's side most times. And on top of all that, you don't really see a drop-off. It's South Carolina. Tennessee's always hanging around. A&M has been great for the last four years. Baylor Lady Bears are fantastic. UConn is the staple. So you know who to th- who you think are gonna, you're going to see in the Final Four. It's like every few years you see that random four seed. Be the Cinderella story. If not, it's the ones, the twos, and the threes. And nine out of ten, it's usually the ones and the twos that make it in the women's side. Men's side? I mean, how many people had Oral Roberts and UCLA moving on? How many had Sister Jean dancing? Seriously. The Sweet 16, Sister Jean, still back in on. God bless her soul. 101-year-old nun. Could not be prouder. But nobody expected that. I think a lot of fans were shocked on this side of this of the bracket with the ladies teams. How AM had to go down to the wire against the Troy team to secure the win. 
that would have been the biggest upset of, I would say, the tournament in a couple of years for two tapping it off before instead now you have this team that's built they got it they got their tough game out of the way and every other game you now know what this tournament you can expect with them with the men's side come on does anybody know what's gonna happen when you see alabama as the number two seed take on a number 11 UCLA that almost did not make it in the playing game. I mean, that was almost Michigan State. And if that would have happened, would Abilene Christian have beaten Michigan State like they beat Texas? I mean, just think about that for a second, guys. I think in the men's side, a lot of people always try to find the Cinderella story. This year, there's a lot. I mean, and don't get me wrong, they're, they're bigger programs. It's like UCLA and Syracuse are both 11 seeds, but they're 11 seeds. I mean, Loyola Chicago was higher ranked than Jim Beheim's team and Steve Alford's team. I mean, two high-end programs. They were ranked nine. Come on. I think what's I think it's gonna be very interesting to see how the Cyclones come out. But I do think that when you look at the Lady Ags' side, they have a very good shot to continue their path to the Final Four over so reality. Because if they win against Iowa State, they'll play the winner of Arizona and BYU. Arizona, I think, is a tough team, but I don't think that they're that tough of a team. Uh, then you have the winner of Indiana, Belmont, slash North Carolina State versus South Florida. And NC State was a team that a lot of people thought was gypped and somehow lucked into that number one seed over AM. So yeah, I think AM has a very good shot. Plus, when you look at Iowa State... They only won by four against Michigan State. So I do believe that this is a very good shot to get back to the Final Four as the representative, I believe, that they're in the West region. I mean, it does not matter. It's all in San Antonio, but you get the drift. If they can pull this out, they can continue to play smart ball. Yeah, I would be very shocked to see them anywhere outside of the Final Four. Especially in their fighters and medical. One of the biggest pet peeves in my life is having to pay extra money for things I don't need. And one of those things is changing minor parts on a car because of I have to go into the shop to get that part. What if I was able to find a middle ground where the part would be delivered to my house and I wouldn't have to pay those service fees? Now you can with rockauto.com. RockAuto.com is an online auto parts service system that has been serving customers for the past 20 years. They have a variety of selections of engine modules to tail lamps to gas pedals, anything you need for your classic car or your daily driver. Plus, their catalog is super easy to navigate through. Pick on the car, pick on the model, pick on the year, and lastly, pick on their low, low price that cannot be beat. Go visit RockAuto.com and type in Locked On on the How'd You Hear About section so they know that we sent you. Amazing selections, reliably low prices, all the auto parts you will ever need. RockAuto.com is the place to be. Locked on Aggies, presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. Cole Thompson back in the driver's seat talking all things Texas A&M. 25 minutes is all it will take to get you caught up on the massive news coming out of all major sports with our brand new show, Locked On Today. Host Peter Bukowski breaks down all the upcoming news breaking information, and of course, the highlight processes of these upcoming NCAA games. Subscribe to Locked On Today, whether you listen on Radio.com or wherever you get your podcast listening systems. 
All right, let's start talking about Texas A&M offensive line. We got to go back to football a little bit. This is basically, you know, the 12th man podcast talking all things football. But there's a new website that I found out about that actually is really interesting. If you look at it, it's called SEC Stat Cat. SEC Stat Cat. No, I'm not sponsored by these guys. I literally just was doing some research for this po- for this podcast today. And this was the first thing that popped up. Texas A&M was one of the most successful teams when it came to running the ball last season. And it's one of the reasons why I think a lot of people have the Aggies as a top contender going into 2021. Because when you look at this roster, and when you look at the pieces that are there, the running back position is easily the strongest. Because of Isaiah Spiller, Devon A-Chain, and a do-it-all weapon in Anaya Smith. Plus, again, I'm not going to rule out DeAndre Jackson just yet. Because I do think he can offer some value, especially as a runner. But, I do think that when you look at the top three, you know what you have. But when you watch, and StatCast, uh, SEC StatCast, go to their website, they'll explain this more to you. AM was so successful of running the ball. Now, what does the success rate mean exactly? It means positive net yards. So, you get past the line of scrimmage. And usually it means one or two broken tackles. So once you get into that second line of the defense, that's how much success that you have. So a lot of the success came on the ground. But it came on the ground because of an updated offensive line. And that's a big key component. Think about this for a second. Their inside zone runs had a success rate of 50.8%. Their counter runs had a success rate of 48.7%. Their inside zone slams, which is basically a halfback slam right up the A-gap, had a success rate of 67.7%. Their blast, which would be, same thing, it's a zone play to the outside, whether that be the B or C gap, they had a success rate of 45.5%. Then when you look at the inside zone, which means basically right off of the uh, ta- right off the tackle's butt, 50% success rate. After that, you look at how much success they were able to have on quick passes, 58.3. Deep passes, 47.6. Uh, you have also the levels passes, and by levels, it's two in routes, but it's all based off how far you go. One guy, usually it's your inside guy, runs about 10 yards, your outside guy runs about 15 yards, or you switch it. But but they're levels, because they compete against each other. That had a 60% success rate. Why was this possible? Because of the offensive line. You had good protection up front for a guy like Kellen Mond in the back, trying to dissect where he was going to pass the ball. But you also had great success running the ball. The problem is that all these players are leaving. Kenyon Green will be back, but the question is, Will he have that same success at left tackle as he did at right guard and left guard? It's possible. This was a kid who was a freshman All-American. This was a kid who came out of Atascocita High School as one of the most prim, polished, and poised players in Texas A&M history. And he made an immediate impact on the offensive line. But he also was allowed to be the weak link in this offensive line. Why is that possible? Well, because you had guys who were already starters either for a full-time year or part-time in the final year of uh, the 
Jimbo Fisher, I mean the final year of the Kevin Sumlin era, or the first year of the Jimbo Fisher era. So either they knew exactly the formation that they were working with, or they had a basic knowledge of it. After watching players leave for the draft, leave for, you know, leave leave to go graduate, whatever you could call it. But Green now has to be that veteran presence. Because you don't know who's playing the other four spots. And to be honest, you could have another situation where Green's position is taken over by another freshman, Bryce Foster, coming out of Katie Taylor High School. You also could have a transfer come in and potentially play that spot with Jameer Johnson. Or you even could see Chris Morris, who was the backup left tackle in place with Dan Moore, slide in for a season just in case Green has a breakout year and he declares to the NFL draft. All these options work, but you need to have some type of presence figured out because the offensive line will open up so so many different avenues for A&M's offense to be successful. In not just the pass game and in the run game, but you have to realize... That last season, AM had one, I think three total types of plays that were their base plays that did not have a success rate of 50% or more. When that happens, that's because you have a good offensive line leading the nickel being worse than the big. And the only way to be successful, again, I bring this up every time and I'll continue to bring this up. The only way to be successful. In today's game, is not with great weapons. It's with great offensive line. The best teams in the NFL are only as good as their offensive lines allow them to be. And it's why nine of the top 10 teams last season that finished with the fewest sacks allowed made the postseason. It's because their offensive lines do not allow pressure to go anywhere near these four teams. We have reached the Sweet 16, and with it, it comes time for more bets. And the one place we love and the one place we trust for you to go make your deposit is BetOnline.ag. BetOnline.ag gives you the best lines, the best payouts, and of course, the best bets to make some extra cash this upcoming March Madness season and stop sitting on the sideline and get into the action for you to make your own bet. Because when you go sign up with BetOnline.ag and use the promo code Locked On, you will get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline.ag, your online sportsbooks experts. This episode of Lockdown Aggies is brought to you by Built Bar. Now, we've been telling you for a while about Built Bar, the best tasting protein bar on the market. But which truly is the best? It's time to find out with our Built Bar Madness Challenge. We are entering the enticing eight. One more team has to make it as Birthday Cake did move on. And what's it going to be? Brownie, chocolate, coconut chunk, or lemon almond cheesecake. Listen, I love Built Bar and I think that they are a fantastic product. I have tried both of these. I think the cheesecake one is a little tart, but I also have problems with the coconut one because of I want to know that there's coconut in my mouth. I don't want to be exasperated with coconut. In the end though, you always got to go with the chocolate one. That would be the coconut brownie chunk moving on into my enticing eight. But it doesn't matter what I think. It matters what you think. 
Don't forget to use the promo code LOCKEDON15 when you use your next order for 15% off your next purchase. That's LOCKED15 to get 15% off your next order at BuiltBar.com. And check back in to see who's won today's matchup and who will become the best tasting protein bar of all time. Locked on Aggies, presented by the Locked on Podcast Network. Cole Thompson back in action, talking all things Texas A&M. Guys, make sure you're listening to all of our NFL Draft podcasts leading up to the NFL Draft. That includes the Draft Dudes podcast, who watch every prospect that you don't have to. And Locked on NFL Draft, that gives you daily draft news and mock draft podcasts. Follow Locked on NFL Draft and Draft Dudes on the Radio.com app or wherever you get your podcast listening systems. Let's talk Buddy Johnson for a minute. This is the guy that I think a lot of people will sleep on going into next season, especially wherever he gets drafted. And I think he's going to be a flat-out stud. Everything I've seen from Buddy Johnson on film, on tape, screams that leadership role that is needed for most defenses. Now, again, where do I think he best fits? Right now, I would say him in a 3-4 where he can be the secondary thumper, play a one-gap system, a limited role, and not have to worry about doing so much, while probably being a special teamer for a little while. I do believe he can be a starter down the line, but this is going to be a guy who I think a Brian Flores from Miami would love to work with. I wouldn't be shocked if a... uh, What's Raheem Morris now with the Los Angeles Chargers? I mean, Rams would make a lot of sense. I think that Chargers would be a really fun spot for him in Brandon Staley's system, especially in Brandon Staley's system. I think it'd be really cool to see him play. But according to Lance Zerline from NFL.com, he's a blue collar inside linebacker with good size and forceful demeanor. The stake is claiming the box. Johnson has developed a highly respected team leader during his time with the Aggies. In just his second season at inside linebacker, he showed great improvement in pursuit and leverage of recognition and blocking schemes, but still has recognized the best pathways to the football. He meets power with power when taking on blockers and does a nice job playing off and finding his way towards the runner. Johnson has the makeup of a two-down linebacker with special teams in the final four. So what does all that mean? Basically... It's a guy who will come in on run-heavy sets to begin his career as, as I put it, I think a three in a 3-4 system that needs two off-ball linebackers because of they have great edge rushers like your Jack Backer attacking the outside and your other edge defender probably playing as the uh, as coming off of your five technique, either inside or out. So I do think that going to a system like that where it's run heavy, yeah, you have him come fill the box, play the pursuit, and make the tackle at the line of scrimmage, or roughly right past it. But according to what Zerline's note said, team leader throughout actions and words, that's a given if you ever listen to Buddy Johnson talk. Good size, definition, and aggression. He's six foot three, 240 pounds. He's a very stout linebacker. That's exactly what's needed for that position. Durable and tough with experience on the inside and out. So... If he were to go to a 4-3 system, I think it'd be fun to watch him play a sandbacker role. If he could do well as a sandbacker, I wonder if he still would be a two-down backer. And what they would do is they would play the nickel and he'd be the rotational linebacker taken out on those plays. But if he is a sandbacker, be interesting to see if he can flourish early on. 
I think he took a very big step forward, as Zerline said. He was, it wasn't his tackling that got better. It was his read and reaction. It was his eyes. It was his ability to dissect and decipher the play and be able to figure out the right pursuit angles to make stronger plays against the run. But there were some weaknesses. Overall, uh, yeah, he didn't play that great in coverage. Coverage. He's very limited as a downfield tackler. I think that he is good in the open field, but he also is very susceptible to falling for the juke and first move and then missing the tackle. And it feels like when he's trying to rush players, he doesn't have that oomph needed to be used as a pass rushing linebacker. So all those things make it kind of interesting to see where he can play. When you play in a 4-3 set, your two main pass rushers are your two defensive ends. So basically, any single time you use a linebacker in the pass rushing role, it's one guy. So can Buddy Johnson be that sandbacker, which is the strong side backer, usually plays closer to uh, the, the boundary side? Can he step up and be that extra blitzer? If so, yeah, I have seen no problem of how he cannot just find a niche for himself in the NFL. If not, I think that he's limited to playing in the mic role, which could hurt his value as an overall player. I believe Buddy Johnson's going to fall somewhere in that 6th to 7th round range, then finally work his way up. I think a guy like Bill Belichick, maybe Mike Zimmer would like to have him. Definitely someone who can make a name for himself as a thumper backer. The question is with all those spots, would he be expected to start soon? Hopefully not if he's going to go in the sixth round. But he has a good camp. He's in a good line. I still think Buddy Johnson is a name to watch for, especially at the linebacker role. I think he's very undervalued. I just think off-ball linebackers also are undervalued because they're the first to be replaced. That's going to do for this edition of Locked on Aggies. Make sure you're following us on social media at Mr. Cole Thompson at Locked on Aggies. On tomorrow's show, we'll be talking about something. Who knows what, but there'll be something. We'll see you soon. And remember, give me all. This has been Locked on Aggies, presented by the Locked on Podcast Network.